our girly evolution bilingual podcast sharing stories of women around the world navigating women's new frontier the me too millennium join carolina rocchio and me our girly as we interview women from different walks of life as well as different cultures to explore the inspirations issues and irritations women across the globe share Our girly revolution focuses on how women may have been born to different houses, but we are sisters in the end. Vanessa Skies is a woman whose pregnancy transformed her. She was always passionate about childbirth, and during her first pregnancy, she realized there was a lack of resources and support for Bolivian women who safe and healthy delivery. After having her daughter, Isabella, her experience and passion led her to train as a doula in childbirth by certifying herself with Doula Canada, and then completing training with Lamaze International on healthy practices of childbirth. Vanessa is an instructor in the Perinatal Health and Breastfeeding Diploma at UniFrance in Santa Cruz, and has had the pleasure of training health professionals in other Santa Cruz clinics on how to provide better support to women during labor. She also runs Vanessa Skye's Birth Services, an organization that offers prenatal education, birth support, private counseling, and breastfeeding group supports. We are absolutely honored to have Vanessa join us on Our Girly Revolution. Hi, Vanessa. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, re- I'm really glad to have you. Um, I'm honored because I've watched this journey uh, take place and it's just been an amazing development. Yeah, could you tell us a little bit about how you ended up in birthing services? How this started? Yeah. Yes, um, well, I um, am originally from Canada um, and I moved to Bolivia. My partner is, is Bolivian and he um, was living here at the time. So I decided to relocate um, to be with him. And uh, a couple of years later, I found out I was, pre- I was expecting and there started my my journey, I guess, to finding a good care provider, a good doctor who could um, follow my pregnancy and and then help uh, deliver my baby. And I think um, during that process, I, I came up against a lot of obstacles. So throughout my pregnancy, it was very difficult to find any professional um, that could help me with preparation, uh, physical preparation, information, educational preparation. So your typical um, prenatal ed course that you take, exercise programs or yoga or anything prenatal um, that kind of helps prepare mind and body for, for birth and for parenthood. And, um, and again, with care providers, I was having a really difficult time finding someone who was kind of in, is, was more in line with my idea um, or my desires for my birth. So I wanted uh, a normal birth. I wanted a vaginal birth and I wanted um, to try to do it without any anesthesia. Uh, So without an epidural, which most people kind of um, understand that term. So, and I came across a lot of um, negativity towards that. Either doctors constantly saying, okay, well, yeah, sure. You can have a normal birth, but we'll wait until you're 38 weeks to be able to decide that. And that was kind of like a little bit of a red flag for me. I started, I started reading a lot of books. Um, I had to kind of get some books from elsewhere because the only pregnancy book available in the bookstores here is What to Expect When Expecting, which is probably the most famous pregnancy book, unfortunately, <laughs> which can kind of be a little bit more of a 
um, negative or fear-mongering type of, of book in terms of pregnancy. So I, I bought a lot of books, brought them into Bolivia and started learning and to be able to know what questions to ask my care provider to make sure that they were really in line or in sync with the kind of birth that I was looking for, um, which is just a physiological birth. I wasn't looking for anything um, spectacular. I wasn't looking to birth my baby on the top of a mountain, which would be lovely um, for some <laughs> women, um, but that really wasn't what I was, I was needing necessarily. I just wanted to have a safe and a comfortable delivery where I felt like I was involved, that I was a participant in this process. And I had a lot of confidence just from my upbringing and from my own mother's tales of her pregnancies and her births that, yeah, it's, um, it can be a painful experience, but it's nothing that you can't handle. And it's um, in the scheme of things, it's something that's quite short. And so it's definitely manageable. So that was kind of my, my birth culture. And so I just had a lot of confidence in my body and in my ability to birth my baby. So I had to change care providers about four times, I remember, in the course of my nine, 41 weeks wow. of pregnancy. And the more I learned um, from the books that I was reading, the better I was able to kind of interview care providers. And I think as now as a prenatal educator and a doula, I think that's one of the things that we really stress um, in our prenatal education courses learning how to um, communicate desires or wishes, birth wishes through a birth plan, and then obviously educating yourself and making sure that there's a lot of dialogue between the birth team, like the birth team, the, the birthing person. So you always want, and they're, and they're, and the partner or whoever is going to be supporting that. I think that's really what uh, we try to portray in our courses now is learning how to ask questions, knowing enough to be able to know if those answers to those questions are in line with what your desires for your birth are. So I think that's really what I um, was able to do by myself in my pregnancy um, is to ask good questions and to know if the answer um, was okay for me. And so I interviewed a lot of gynecologists and most of the answers to those questions were not okay for me. And that's for me, it, those answers might be great for someone else. But for the birth experience uh, that I was looking for, it led me to find someone else. And so I even went to some public hospitals, I went to um, semi-private hospitals, I went to private hospitals, and I would go to the um, receptionists and the nurses and just ask, introduce myself and ask, you know, I'm really looking for a normal birth. Have you ever seen a doctor attend normal birth here? And I would ask what their name was. And so that's how I was kind of um, getting my list together of prospective obstetricians that I could go and see uh, to see if they could uh, deliver my baby and, and monitor my pregnancy. So from there, I came across a few doctors and I, and I finally came across the, the obstetrician that delivered my baby um, because I was at ease with his answers and he definitely made me feel like I was competent and he uh, made me feel that I could trust my body. And um, he definitely treated me as a person, an important participant in birth, which is just seems might seem for someone outside of South America or Bolivia, kind of being like, well, why wouldn't they be? <laughs> but oftentimes women are not participants are not treated as someone really in the know during their pregnancy. Whereas whether they've read all the books or not, women are blessed with 
just incredible intuition and it's our physiology it's our it's our hormones it's our bodies that tell us a lot of things and we're kind of not encouraged to be in touch with that so um a lot of the times mothers are disregarded um in terms of their wishes their desires or what they're experiencing in their bodies at the time um during pregnancy i think that's really um i don't know whether to say won me over or what made me decide to stay with this particular ob it was just that the fact that he let me be a participant um and listened to me and listened to me actively um, and was able to to say yes to kind of some of the things that I was looking for for my birth, which really aren't um, anything out of the ordinary, all things which would be evidence-based, right? So we're talking about, I wanted to have free movement during um, labor. I wanted to stay at home as long as I could. I wanted to eat and drink. I wanted my partner with me. I wanted to be able to use massage and use a birth ball and, I wanted to be left alone. I wanted my my space to be private. I didn't want to be hooked up to a monitor all the time. I didn't want to need use have an IV if it wasn't necessary. I just wanted to keep interventions as as minimal as possible, um, and I wanted to be able to to do what I needed to do when I'm pushing my baby out. So. Um, I wanted to be able to be in tune with my body and say, you know what, I don't really like this position, <laughs> feel like it's not great for me right now, can I change? And, and, I, and, and I think all of those things that um, were able to come to fruition, I think one thing that um, I needed and I looked for desperately was a doula. And I remember getting from Adriana Vergara, who is now my colleague, she did my prenatal education course many years ago. And, and I remember she saying, oh, there's someone so and so and so and so they might be able to accompany your birth. And, and I would call and just kind of people be a little bit disinterested in, in that kind of a service. So I ended up not having a doula. My partner was was wonderful at accompanying me. But I think what I really needed was that person, a loving and caring person, a woman by my side, who knew what I needed be without me really realizing what I needed and kind of someone who has studied my birth plan or my birth wishes and helping me achieve that. So when I say I can't, I can't get into a different position. I'm super uncomfortable, but I want to get somewhere in a different position. Um, someone could say, yes, you can, Vanessa, and I'm going to help. So I think that's in my birth and my birth experience, what was um, what was missing. I, I felt like I really needed to ask for a lot of things when a birthing and anyone who knows about birth, a woman nine centimeters dilated or a completion and about to push her baby out is not is in a bit of a haze. There's a lot of hormonal changes that happen in the body during birth, which kind of puts you in a in a trance like state. And, it, and it's it's a great thing because it helps you manage some of the same sensations that come with uh, with the contractions with labor. And, and so I remember being really cold and that can be quite a, a normal thing, um, cold feet during, during labor um, because a lot of the blood is going towards um, the central part of your body. So your extremities can be cold. And I had some of my grandmother's homemade knit socks on and they made me feel so good and obviously in labor you need to be relaxed um so if you're cold you're tense and these socks were really helping me keep relaxed and you progress better so you would think simply wearing a pair of wool socks wouldn't be a problem <laughs> but i remember i was yeah. fully complete i was 10 centimeters dilated and we decided to go to the um, delivery room 
and I walked down and I walked slowly down to the delivery room. And I, they put me in this little, little area, I think, which is before you go into the operating room, if you're going to have a cesarean section, and then there's kind of a delivery room, which is also sterile. So you, you lose a lot of your comfort measures, like your birth ball, your hot water bottle, your partner, your, your masseuse, um, all of those kind of your music, your aromatherapy, all of those things that were kind of helping you cope with the sensations of labor are gone. And all I was left with was my, my, my Grammy socks. <laughs> and I remember negotiating and for a woman to be able to physically negotiate with someone at 10 centimeters dilated is quite a wow. feat, I'll have to say. <laughs> but I remember saying, you know, I'm really, my feet are really cold. This is going to tense up my body. Can I please just keep my, my socks on? Because she wanted to get me changed um, into sterile scrubs, you know, a, a, a gown, they put the booties on and your hairnet and all of these things, which, which really are not necessary for physiological birth, <laughs> but it was, they were necessary at the time. So, um, I, I was able to convince her to let me keep my wool socks on <laughs> to go into the delivery room, to be able to push my baby out. So at least my, my feet were warm, <laughs> but, but I guess that's kind of what wow. I was coming back to is is I needed that person. I needed a doula. I needed, um, and, and again, I had a great experience. I had a good, a positive birth experience. Of course, it could be better. And of course, my next birth will be different. Um, but that was the birth that I had. And that's the birth that I planned for. So it definitely was a positive experience. And I think quite a great feat or accomplishment for the environment that I, that I was in or that we were in. So um, but I just find it funny that I needed to negotiate with this woman to be able to keep my, my feet warm. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of how I, after the birthday, um, I birthed my baby. And in the postpartum, I just thought to myself, man, I had a good experience, but that wasn't easy. And I'm not talking about the birth. The birth was the easy part, probably in my perspective, in my experience. The hard part was the pregnancy of finding a team that was willing to respect um, not only my wishes, but just respect physiological birth, just that natural process of the body. And that was the hard part. The hard part was finding professionals that could prepare me for birth, finding professionals that could attend my labor. Um, and so that's really what, what pushed me in with the help of my colleague, Adriana, um, to be like, you know what, I think I'm going to do, I think I'm going to become a doula because I know I could feel in my birth where a doula really would have helped me better my own experience. And, and it's not that I didn't look for it. It just wasn't something that was available at the time. No one was interested in accompanying me during that process. So I thought, man, this is needed. This is needed here. And so I certified as a doula in Canada with Doula Canada. And um, I was able to accompany my first birth actually with a North American and American um, professional midwife here in Bolivia and it was beautiful and my first experience as a doula was with a team that practices midwifery and medicine in a way that is so respectful and so inclusive of the birthing person and their partner that it just you see it in front of your eyes and you say this is it this is it this is what we need this is what women need this is what birthing people need this is what everyone needs to be able to make that transformation um, into parenthood. And it makes a big, big difference in terms of how 
your postpartum goes. So that was kind of my journey, I guess. And since then I've done um, certifications with Lamaze as a prenatal educator. I've done, um, uh, I became a lactation counselor as well with Edulacta in Spain. And so I work with a lot of moms postpartum helping with breastfeeding. And most recently last year, I went to Brazil to an amazing um, conference called Cia Parto. And I was able to work with the wonderful trainers and midwives of spinning babies from the States. And now I am a spinning babies parent educator. So I do a spinning babies um, workshop every month as well, which talks about fetal positioning and mother's own um, anatomy and how that can kind of affect fetal positioning. And so different exercises or activities that women can introduce during pregnancy to help um, have a shorter and a more comfortable, comfortable labor, as well as some tools to be able to um, work with women whose labors aren't going so great, um, that are really painful or um, positions of babies that are not um, optimal. So now I have lots of um, tools in my tool belt to be able to help uh, women in labor when things kind of don't go as smoothly as one desires. <laughs> So that has been really awesome since going to Brazil last year, um, just being able to incorporate that. So that's so just to in- give the uh, listeners. No, I was just re- I was just going to say that I rambled on forever to tell about how I got to do what I'm doing. <laughs> Because it's so fascinating. It really is. And because it kind of changes the direction of the interview, because I want to ask you for the, re- for the listeners, and um, what kind of backdrop were you dealing with? When you talk about you just wanted a regular birth, what is the status quo birthing situation in Santa Cruz, Bolivia? How would well, you like describe I, it when you were? Yeah, there? like I said, it's different. It's difficult. We don't have a lot of great statistics in Bolivia, but to my knowledge, talking with different professionals who work in different institutions and just kind of basing it on the statistics, Bolivian statistics that are available, we're talking about 40 to 60 percent cesarean rates um, in public hospitals, 70 percent plus in semi-private and I would say anywhere from 95% and up for private um, for private hospitals. So obviously that kind of paints a backdrop that can be really challenging just because there's not a lot of um, care providers that are interested in, in attending vaginal birth. So there's a lot of factors that kind of contribute to that. Some are economical, some are just basically a lack of interest. Obviously, for economical um, uh, factors as well that can kind of affect uh, your ability. And and as well as just kind of, um, if you haven't done normal birth in a long time, care providers can kind of get rusty. And I think also the legal system in terms of liability, it's a little bit different than in other countries. And and I'm still having a hard time kind of comprehending it. But a lot of a lot of medical care or care providers make choices um, to protect themselves rather than necessarily protect the woman's um, well-being and the baby's well-being. Um, so that can also be um, a factor at, of explaining kind of the the high cesarean rate. And and obviously with this, because of a lack of information and involvement from the public sector, like the government, in terms of educate, educating women and parents in general and families about normal birth. And there's a little bit of, there's a lot of misconceptions about vaginal birth and cesarean. So a lot of people, kind of the general cultural knowledge is that cesareans are safer. 
and that cesareans are the better option. There's also a little bit of, um, I don't know whether the word would be like hierarchy or social, socioeconomic uh, status um, linked to being, to having a cesarean. So it kind of depends. Bolivia is a very um, diverse country. Um, so there's a lot of indigenous and rural communities that will be, have a different birth culture than what we're talking about in cities amongst middle upper class um, citizens. So it's, it's kind of challenging to kind of paint all of Bolivia with the same, the same brush in that way. But the area in which I work, I know I hear that comment a lot, um, especially between lower middle class, is that uh, having a cesarean is, is uh, a way to show um, prosperity, I guess. Um, the fact that you were able to um, pay for this surgery um, to have your baby and that that vaginal birth is for poor people, which unfortunately uh, is is not the truth. Um, I guess people, poor people, I guess, are just being able to have healthier um, and safer deliveries. <laughs> Maybe they're they're able to, they don't have the options to elect a, a cesarean um, section. So um, it's it's challenging. And so nor, nor oftentimes birth is really feared. It, they feel a lot of people in the general population feel like it's a process that's extremely dangerous, which is not true. It couldn't be farther from the truth. It's a physiological process and it's much safer than, than a cesarean delivery. Obviously, a C-section is a, is a major sur- abdominal surgery. And with sur- any type of surgery, your risks of infection and hemorrhaging and, and other complications increase um, quite drastically than if you go through a physiological process like um, a vaginal birth. So it's challenging. So I think um, the, how we have kind of started out and trying to create small changes and creating more options for women is just simply ed- education. Um, so education during pregnancy about birth and birth options and the benefits and the risks of of both of those options. So here you can definitely, it's in your capability to choose and program a C-section. Whereas in other countries, um, that's not really a possibility. Um, I know I'm from Canada. So as in, as a um, completely public healthcare system, you don't really have the option to say, you know what, I want a cesarean section. And, and most people, uh, most women, because of the birth culture that they grow up in, that's not really something that they desire either. They, they, they know ahead of time that yes, cesarean section is, is reserved for those situations where labor, um, a vaginal birth is not um, not the safest way to be born, but always the safest way and, um, and the healthiest way to birth a baby is is vaginally. So it's it's challenging. You kind of feel like you're upside down here. <laughs> I always feel like that, like you're upside down and working. <laughs> um, and so it takes it takes time. And so we've done we do. Um, monthly workshops um, providing information uh, about birth and postpartum for families and I think that has a ripple effect so more families that are um, empowered with information that uh, they share that information with um, their people so we've definitely noticed that um, uh, an increase in demand in in that kind of an information and that type of preparation before birth which is a great thing and um, what would you um 
like to see change in the next five years in Bolivia with regards to birthing practices? You've been doing it for about four years. So where do you, yeah. where do you see Yeah, it? almost four years. Um, with some of the gynecologists that are the OBs that I, that I work most with um, who are pro-physiological birth, um, um, it would be lovely. Uh, one of the biggest challenges I think in Bolivia is that there are no midwives in Bolivia. There are traditional midwives in some of the rural areas. In Santa Cruz, um, to my knowledge, uh, there are no practicing traditional midwives in the city. They've kind of been uh, phased out and they haven't been passing their knowledge down to um, current generations to kind of keep that going. Obviously, they aren't supported by the healthcare system or the, um, to be able to continue their work. Um, so kind of the desire, I think, is to hospitalize all all the births, which is not really um, the greatest. And you can kind of see that in the States almost. That was maybe 30 years ago, kind of the process, you know, where m majority of women were birthing at home to a, an, a drastic increase in hospital births. And now little by little, um, home births or births attended by midwives is growing. It's growing slowly, um, but it's definitely growing again. So we're kind of a little bit behind that. And in Bolivia, there is no um, place to study midwifery professionally. So the actual work of a midwife is not, is not recognized. So that's really challenging because um, obviously OBGYNs are trained to deal with high-risk pregnancy. Um, so their tendency is to intervene surgically. Um, and that's just their, their, their schooling. That's their, their formation or their formacion, their, their training. Um, so really a midwife is a great way to work um, in, in conjunction or, um, I don't know, I'm mixing up Spanish and English, <laughs> uh, with, um, with OBGYNs and, and midwifery to be able to take better care of low risk women. So we don't really have that option at the moment. Um, there, like I said, there are traditional midwives. Um, there are very few and they're mostly working in rural communities and they're not accepted in the formal medical system. So if they do feel that they need to be, to transfer their, um, the woman that they're helping um, birth, they're often discriminated against. Um, and so that's, that system really needs to, to be um, improved. And I think midwifery needs to be something um, that begins formally in Bolivia. It's, it's a long haul. It's definitely a, something that will take a lot of time to achieve, but I really think that's going to be necessary. And new OBGYNs, it's very difficult um, to change um, someone's practice. You know, when someone's been practicing in such a way for 30, 20 to 30 years, it's challenging to, to recognize your weaknesses um, perhaps and and start to look at your work from a different lens and see how small things can change and maybe start to attend birth it's it's challenging so i think definitely working with young students obgyns you know that's not my job as a doula um, but definitely the other the OBGYNs that are attending births now and are working along with this kind of project or movement <laughs> to, to do. And, and obviously what I'm doing now is trying to help uh, 
um, more doulas, that we have more doulas in Santa Cruz. And that has increased um, in the last couple of years. So I was the really the only practicing professional doula, I think in, in almost all of Bolivia, to my knowledge. And in the last couple of years, um, there have been more um, courses, more um, that people have come from Argentina and come from Ecuador to train uh, new doulas. And so now there is a group, groups of doulas in La Paz, um, I'm working with um, more doulas here in Santa Cruz, in Cochabamba. I think there are a couple of doulas as well working. Um, so that's really good, wow. increasing that um, kind of uh, support uh, for women, I think is important. But definitely we need more, we need more care providers. We need more, more medical, medical providers to be able to um, keep, this, keep this going. And hopefully maybe something like a birth center a place <clears throat> where women can have their babies uh, that's not necessarily a hospital um, setting. Mm -hmm. uh, that can be for low-risk women um, to be able to have a little bit more of a um, intermediate area to be able to have their baby in so they um, have less interventions. Well, that would be nice to see too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all the change that you've made, I mean, uh, that's made, been made, Isabella's been born. It's so amazing. I'm just yeah, I'm just, I'm yeah. I think so. I think I think I just kind of imagine myself pregnant again, and I say, you know, are, is this the same place as it was, you know, five years ago when I was just kind of more or less finding out that I was pregnant? There's and it's not. It's definitely different. Meant there's more options. Um, the conditions to be to give birth now are different. They're better. Um, they're, they facilitate um, more physiological birth. Postpartum resources and prenatal resources have increased as well. So that's really good. I'm really happy about that. If the listeners are interested, can they learn out more from, about what you are doing? Do you have a website? Yes, my website is vanessasykes.com. Um, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram as well um, with Vanessa Sykes Birth Services. Um, Vanessa has two S's. Sykes is S-Y-K-E-S. -E um, but yeah, you can find me okay. on social media and my web. Thank you, Vanessa. I so appreciate um, your time. And I'm, I'm just so curious. We'll probably circle back around and interview you again in a couple years. And yeah. I can't wait we'll to see where we're at. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was fun. For more information on Vanessa Sykes and her birthing services, please check out the following website, www.vanessasykes.com. She can also be found on Facebook and Instagram. To hear Vanessa's full interview, please check out ourgirlyrevolution.com, where women may live in different houses, but we are sisters in the end.
Salabar.